morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity now to, to open your word together, and we, we pray that you would help us as we do so. There are things in it that seem difficult to understand, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would make them simple to us, simple to understand, and that we would find in them the simplicity of devotion to Christ. That following Jesus is not a complicated thing. It's not easy, but it is not complicated. It is simple, and we we pray that you would show us these things. That as we see the truth, Lord, that we we would want nothing more than to walk in accordance with what the Lord teaches here. So we pray for your help, not only for understanding, but for a desire to obey to love Jesus more as a result of what we find. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We looked at the first parable in this chapter last week. This morning we look at the next three. And they begin in verse 21. So if you would stand with me, we'll begin reading in verse 21, and we'll continue reading through verse 34. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable must we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples He explained everything. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul gives us a warning about 
discipleship in 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The enemy's design is to lead us astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And this assumes, of course, that, that Paul believes that following Jesus, discipleship, devotion to Christ, is simple. Now, that is not the same thing as saying that it's easy. It certainly is not easy to follow Jesus. But what it is to say is that it is not complicated. It is not a complicated thing to follow Christ. The enemy would deceive us on several points pertaining to our our purpose, our mission, our mindset, our equipping, so that after taking that bait, after following the cheese, so to speak, we would think to ourselves, wow, what we're doing right now, this isn't working We need to innovate in order to make the Christian life work. The the enemy would lead us to complicate ministry with a a flowchart of of competing purposes. He, He would have us to constantly innovate in our methodology so as to stymie the natural growth of the kingdom. He'd have us constantly looking for new ways to stay motivated, Therefore, having our eyes on anything other than the eventual prize. He would have us in a constant hunt for resources other than the one that is right in front of us. But Jesus is so kind that we find in the Gospels Him laying out for us repeatedly the simplicity of discipleship. He does it over and over. And he, He does it here in these three parables. Discipleship, following Him, really is quite simple. It's not easy, but it is very simple. And we could place on these these parables as their message an acronym that some of us are familiar with, K-I-S-S, Keep It Simple, Saints. Keep it simple, saints. That's what the Lord would have us to do. That's what He's trying to impart as a whole through through these these parables. We're, we're going to note four, four features this morning of simple discipleship. Four features of simple discipleship. First of all, the Lord would have us to know that there is a simple purpose, very simple purpose. The disciple pursues the knowledge of Christ, enjoying its reward. He pursues the knowledge of Christ, enjoying its reward. So let's back up to the beginning again and look at verse 21. We'll just look at verse 21 to begin. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, some of us may be more familiar with with Matthew and Luke, and we may find ourselves reading Matthew and Luke into this context. For example, right here, we may have Matthew on the brain. And we think, okay, well, we've got a lamp here. We've got the lamp stand. So this must be about the same thing that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. This must be about our being a light to those around us. 
But Mark records different words than Matthew does, and this is a different context. A more literal translation of of the first part of verse 21 would be, does the lamp come in order to, to be put under a basket? Does the lamp come? Now, the, the, the verb underlying the word come, or in our ESV translation, brought, is a word that is almost universally translated go or come. And it's an active verb. It's not a passive verb. In fact, this verse is the only place that any of the major translations will translate this Greek word as brought. And I would suggest to you that the Lord Jesus actually intended for us to read it, come. This is not a lamp that is brought passively, but it is a lamp that comes. And it isn't a lamp, but it's the lamp. It's a very specific lamp. Now, why does all of that matter? It matters because of the identity of the lamp. Jesus is talking about himself. He is the lamp, and he has come. By the way, if you think I'm like way out in left field on this, I'm not the only one in the world that reads this passage that way. This is the broad view of, of commentators on Mark. If, if, if it wasn't, I wouldn't be bringing it to you. I will never bring you an innovation on a text, never. But this is the Lord Jesus. He's talking about Himself. And He has not come ultimately to be, to be obscured, but to be manifested. So look at verse 22 now. He says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And verse 22 also indicates that Jesus is talking about Himself because we've seen repeatedly so far in Mark what we've called the messianic secret. We've seen Jesus telling, telling the demons not to reveal Him. And He told that, that leper back in chapter 1, see that you say nothing to anyone. And He's going to keep giving that command to people that He helps. Don't tell anybody about this. And now we've come to this place where Jesus is teaching in parables. We saw last week that they are intentionally, they're intentionally designed to keep those who are outside in the dark. Jesus is keeping the secret secret at this point in His ministry. As Jesus is giving these words, the fullness of His identity, the fullness of the nature of His kingdom is a closely held secret as it has been since Genesis chapter 3. Now what we need to understand is that we are on the other side of the resurrection. And once Jesus atoned for sin and was, risen, was, was raised from the dead, that secret was a secret no more. And then Jesus says to His disciples, okay, now it's time to shout this thing from the mountaintops. Here He's saying to those who are inside, who I am and what I'm doing is not intended to be kept a secret. I have come in order that men might know me. That, that's a huge thing that, that, we, that we want to, to see here in the text. Jesus has come to be known. And He's come that we might know the Father through Him. That's the whole point of the incarnation, is that we might be reconciled to God and that we might know Him. Now, verse 23, He says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we'll remember from earlier in the passage, Jesus explained to those inside that to them has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And so he's saying here, if you're on the inside, then, then listen, pay attention to what I'm saying. This is very important. And he doubles down on that in verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. Or 
heed what you hear. He's, he's exhorting them to act on what he has just, what he's just taught them in, in this parable. Now, what would it be for them to, to act on what they've just heard? Well, first of all, what, what, what is it that they've just heard? To, to hear what Jesus is saying is to understand that he has come in order to be known by them. Jesus wants to be known by his people. To act on that would be to pursue the knowledge of him personally. To recognize that he is the whole point of why we have followed him and to just continue down that road of discovery of this person, this experiential knowledge of Jesus. Because he is the whole point. He's the whole point of, of discipleship. And, and guess what motivation he gives us to pursue that knowledge? What, what is the, can, the, the carrot that he, that he dangles in front of us? Well, it's abundantly more of him. And we find that in verse, the, the rest of verse 24. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. Now, again, we may be more familiar with Matthew. And in Matthew, this saying is used in conjunction with a warning that we should not hypocritically judge other people. There at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. But this saying was just a common saying that meant something like, you reap what you sow. What, what you put into something is what you're going to get out of it. And in this context, what the Lord means is that to the extent that you give yourself to the pursuit of Christ, you will be rewarded in an overabundance of the knowledge of Him. Intimacy with Him as a person. Experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that is exactly what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. That we would comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That's what Paul prays for the church, that we would know more of Him and His love. Paul reveals that that is his own personal highest desire in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and following. All he wants is just to know Jesus. And according to Jesus, when you go after more of Him as your singular purpose, you will not be disappointed. You will be rewarded with more and more of Him abundantly. And that is the heart of discipleship, having and knowing Jesus Himself. Now listen, to miss that that is our purpose is the number one complicating factor of the Christian life. What is the chief end of man? Those of you who are familiar with the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know the answer to that, right? What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I really appreciate the way that John Piper has tweaked that just a little bit to make it stronger. John Piper would say that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. We glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. Now, we may fall for a very subtle deception of the enemy by thinking that our purpose is to make disciples. Our purpose is to make disciples. And that sounds so close to the truth. That sounds fantastic. But when we say that, we are confusing purpose with mission. 
or function. They're not the same thing. And when we do that, we will miss the bullseye, which is Jesus Himself. Others of us may think, my purpose is to have a godly marriage that points others to the Lord Jesus. Or it's to raise children who know and love Jesus. Or, some of us think, my purpose is to be like Jesus. All of that, all of them, good things. But all of them are to confuse purpose with fruit. All of those things flow from the singular purpose of knowing Christ. All all of that fruit and, and, and the mission that God has given us, it is fueled by the purpose of knowing Jesus. And, and to miss that is to set ourselves up for confusion, disappointment, malfunction as we try innovation after innovation to make the Christian life work. And Jesus is putting in front of us here, no, look, you just need to keep it simple. Your purpose is this. Pursue the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. For to the one who has, what is he talking about? Well, in the context, he's talking about the one who has ears to hear. The one who desires to press on into the greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To that person, even more of Christ is going to be given to them. To the one who has not, who does not have ears to hear, has no interest in the things of Jesus, does not want to press into the things of Christ, even what that person has is going to be lost eternally. So, our purpose is to know Jesus, know Jesus, and know Jesus more. And the more that we desire Him, the more that we pursue Him, we will find that the more abundantly generously He gives us knowledge of Himself, greater intimacy, greater affection for Him, greater enjoyment and satisfaction in Him. Very simple, very simple. Secondly, the Lord puts in front of us a simple mission, very simple mission. The disciple sows the Word of Christ, trusting its power. The disciple sows the word of Christ, trusting its power. Verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, this especially, as as it pertains to our mission, this is where we really tend to complicate things. As disciples, we are to share the gospel with the lost that they might be saved and to minister the gospel to the saved that they might be matured in Christ. So let's think about that first part for a few minutes here. Sharing the gospel with the lost so that they might be saved. This parable is so helpful and freeing in that it puts in front of us that our role in making disciples is crucial but limited. It's crucial but limited. 
it's crucial in that we're taught in the New Testament that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. The, the Word of Christ, the good news, that is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to bring dead people to life. And our crucial role is to put that good news in the ears of spiritually dead people. See, just like we were, they are currently dead in their trespasses and sins. They're separated from God because of their rebellious hearts. And they face eternity under the wrath of God for their sin. So they're they're spiritually dead, which means every part of them is enslaved to sin. Somebody has to come along and free them, not only from the penalty of sin, but also from its power. That person is Jesus, Jesus does that for people. Jesus, His righteous life lived on this earth and His atoning death and His vindicating resurrection from the dead, those are the only hope for sinners dead in sin. And it's through repentance and faith, faith in the work of Christ in His life, death and resurrection. It's through that that a person can be forgiven and given life in Him. And the Bible is very clear. The hearing of that good news is the mechanism by which people are saved from sin. So our role is absolutely crucial. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then will they call on Him if, in, in whom they have not believed? And how will they, they believe in whom, in whom of whom they have not, never heard? Sorry, let me just start over. Verse 14, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, who, in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And, and Paul's message is simply this. If the lost would believe, they have to hear. If they're going to hear, somebody has to tell them. Which means that our role in making disciples is absolutely crucial. But this parable also shows that our role is limited. I've said a couple of times in the last few minutes in in a couple of different ways that the good news is the mechanism by which the Holy Spirit brings dead people to life. And that's a crucial, crucial thing to keep in mind. It's the Holy Spirit that brings them to life. Conversion is the work and responsibility of the Holy Spirit. It is not our responsibility. Rightly understood, when we rightly understood the fallen person dead in sin, we know that they can't will themselves to life. A dead person can't will themselves to life. They can't want God and Jesus. They can't move themselves to repentance and faith. And if that's the case, we certainly can't talk them into it. Why? Again, because they're dead. They're spiritually dead in, in their trespasses and sins. They have to be quickened, as the Puritans would say. They have to be brought to spiritual life and given repentance and faith by the Holy Spirit. And Titus 3.5 tells us that that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit regenerates that dead sinner. The tool that He uses to flip that light switch on is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the parable shows that our responsibility is very simple. We plant that seed, we share the good news, and then we can sleep soundly, understanding that we as the sower, we don't make the seed grow. The the whole point of, of the parable is that the Word of God, 
in the hands of the Spirit of God is powerful and efficacious. Romans 1.16 does not say that the evangelist is the power of God for salvation. Rather, the gospel is the word of God, is, is the power of God for salvation. Likewise, in James 1.18, we read that of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He used the word of truth to bring us to spiritual life. So we, in a sense, we plant the word and we get out of the way. We let the word do its thing. And we could trust that the implanted word will have its way with those that God has chosen to save. Now, when I say step back and get out of the way, I do not mean that we never follow up with people. I don't mean that we don't continue to plant seeds. I don't mean that we don't continue to pursue gospel conversations with those people. What I'm saying is it is not up to us to strong arm that person into the kingdom. We trust the Holy Spirit to do that because only the Holy Spirit brings dead people to life. We preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. That's, that's how it works. And we complicate things when we overestimate our mission, believing that we are responsible for conversions. And we may look around us and, and think, man, why, why, aren't, why aren't people being converted? Why aren't being, pe- people being converted? We must be doing something wrong. Well, let's try this. Let, let's try that. Let's try, try this thing over here. And we end up veering into complicating innovations, which may look like endless programs, outreaches that look more like circus sideshows than the kingdom of God on earth, may look like our massaging the gospel itself to make it more sellable, more palatable, when what we should be doing, when we see that people aren't being converted is we should we should first of all ask a simple question and that is are we faithfully sowing the seed that's that's all we should ask because our mission is simple are we sowing the seed and if the answer is yes then we need to trust in the power of the word in the hands of the holy spirit if the answer is no we are not faithfully sowing the seed then we need to repent and get busy about this very simple mission of sowing that seed. But if we're faithful to our simple mission, we can know that at God's appointed time, there will be a harvest. And when those souls are converted, then, as the parable says, we we put that sickle in there and we bring those people into the church. We disciple them to maturity. Now, some of us, as, as we've been talking about disciple-making over, over the last several months walking through Mark, some of us are, have been just increasingly convicted that, that we personally, we are not sowing seed. And yet even in the midst of that conviction, we're so afraid, so fearful of doing this for, for, for various reasons. Listen, what, what if you had a situation where you had someone asking, to hear the truth? What, what if you had an opportunity where somebody is hurting, you're in a very dark place, desperate for hope, and they are literally requesting that someone would come to them and tell them the truth about God, answer their difficult questions? Wouldn't that be a fantastic door opened to you? Nobody's nodding. Wouldn't that be a fantastic opportunity? That would. That, that, would be the, that would be the most 
That would be the ripest of soils. That's soil asking for seed. We, we should run to those opportunities. Listen, we have an opportunity like that in our gospel care ministry. If you haven't heard of our gospel care ministry, you can read more about it on our blog. You can also look on our website. But we are plugged into one of the local hospitals where people are suffering from various ailments. And occasionally, they will ask for someone to help them, not with their physical health, but with their spiritual health. They, they want somebody to provide answers, spiritual answers, somebody to read the Bible with them, talk to them about spiritual things. They are the most fertile soil you can imagine. And in those opportunities, when those opportunities arise, we want to be able to assign people to go and plant that seed in that very fertile soil, read the Bible with that person. Talk to them about the things of Christ. Share the good news. You can volunteer for that ministry by opening up the, the app or getting on our, our website, clicking on sign up, and then clicking on gospel care. Now, I just ask this question, now that you know about the, the, the gospel care ministry, why wouldn't we volunteer for a ministry where people are asking for the gospel, especially those of us who have, who have been convicted and very, very scared to share the gospel, scared of the ostracism and, and rejection when, when, people, when, when, when we share the gospel with people. Why wouldn't we sign up for an opportunity where people are literally asking for it? The only reason I can think of why we wouldn't sign up for a ministry like this is that we are too busy already sowing seeds in other places. We just don't have any more time. We're already, we're, we're, we're already tapped sowing seed. If you're not, then, then get on the website and sign up for this ministry and go after this low-hanging fruit. Help these souls to see their way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission is simple. Sow the Word of Christ, trusting in its power. Third, the Lord Jesus gives us a simple mindset, very simple mindset, the disciple anticipates the kingdom of Christ foreseeing its grandeur. The disciple anticipates the kingdom of Christ foreseeing its grandeur. Look with me now at verse 30. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I'm not a gardener. Most of us buy our mustard at the store, right? So we may not, we may not be familiar with the old mustard seed, right? Well, let me tell you, mustard seeds, they're, they're so tiny. If you put a penny on one side of a scale, a penny on one side of a scale, it would take almost 2,000 mustard seeds to even that scale out. They, they are so small. that they look, they look like a black grain of sand. But in one season, that little tiny seed, size of a grain of sand, will grow to be taller than the Goliath of the Old Testament. 
Now, as Jesus is, is teaching these words, the visible manifestation of, of the kingdom is quite minuscule. I mean, the, the kingdom has come in Jesus. He's gathering souls into it. But at this point, there, there are very few of them, especially, especially compared to the kingdoms of the earth. And if we were, even if we were to fast forward a bit into the book of Acts, and we look at the, the day of Pentecost where we see 3,000 souls added to the kingdom in a single day, even that day, compared to all the kingdoms of the earth, that is an insignificant kingdom if you compare it to all the kingdoms of the earth. It's like a grain of sand, a mustard seed. The kingdom of God, as we have watched over the last 2,000 years, has grown to millions and millions of souls gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to, to Revelation chapter 7, the kingdom of God will one, grow, one day grow to a multitude that is so large that no one can number it. It will be people from every nation, tribe, language, and people. And that's what this parable is depicting as it talks about the, the birds coming and building their nests in the shade of, of the mustard plant. There are numerous Old Testament references where the shade of trees depicts the rest that comes to those who follow Christ. Think of Song, Song of Songs chapter 2, Psalm 91, Ezekiel 17 that, that Pastor John read for us this morning. Now, if, if we were to look at each of these Old Testament references, we'd find that that shade comes in the form of Christ Himself. He is the tree. And so the grandeur of the kingdom that we're looking forward to is not simply just large numbers of people gathered in, but that those, those large numbers, that innumerable horde of people, that they are finding their rest and joy and eternal comfort in Christ Himself. Now, why would Jesus put that kind of vision in front of His disciples right here at the front end of, of their ministry? Well, it can be easy for a faithful disciple to become discouraged over time. Because you sow that seed and you sow that seed. You see nothing come of it at times. Sometimes you even see decline. Kingdoms of the world, they look so large and powerful while, while the church seems so small and weak and outnumbered. And if we were to just look at it, it virtually any time in, in church history, if, if we were to just put yourself in that current state of affairs and look only at those circumstances, you, you would at least have a serious morale problem, if not be tempted to just give up. And to overcome that temptation to doubt, disappointment, and even apostasy, Je Jesus gave this parable to teach us to keep our eyes not on what we can immediately see, but on what one day will be. In other words, Jesus has, has given us a very simple mindset that we should have as disciples. What we can see is no indication of what will be. What we can see is no indication of what will be. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. 
And though the vast majority of, of the world around us today and throughout history has rejected Jesus, they, they've hated Him, disbelieved everything that He said, the kingdom of God is an unstoppable train. And there will come a day when the new creation is populated solely by those who adore the King and find their everlasting rest in Him. And the New Testament exhorts us, keep our eyes not on on the results around us right now, but to look forward to that glory that is coming. One of my favorite passages to that end is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And the context of that passage is what makes it so powerful. As Paul is writing that second letter to the Corinthians, he's writing from a place of great suffering. Suffering so intense that, that he, he discloses in the first chapter that he, he, he feared that he had been given the sentence of death. And toward the end of the letter, he cataloged some of the suffering that he experienced in his, his travels as an apostle. He, he spoke of countless beatings and often near death. He said, he said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, anybody could have looked at Paul and everything that he suffered and, and would not have blamed him for saying to himself or saying to anyone who would listen, this is never going to work. Look at all this opposition. And not just from outside the church, but opposition from inside the church. I'm wasting my time sowing the seed. It's never going to work if Paul's mindset was that what he could see was an indication of what would be. That was not his mindset. His mindset, we read about in 2 Corinthians 4.16, where he wrote, So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is the simple mindset that we must have. What we can see is no indication of what will be. We have been promised a glorious coming kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Now, so far, this is is quite quite a a simple road that we're walking. Again, not easy, but but it is simple. We pursue greater knowledge of Jesus, enjoying the reward, which is more of him, We spread the good news, trusting its own power to create spiritual life. And we anticipate this coming kingdom, knowing that the grandeur is going to outweigh any current difficulties. Now, In these final two verses, we find another another simple truth. It's a simple resource, and that is that the disciple seeks the equipping of Christ, desiring its wisdom. 
The disciple seeks the equipping of Christ, desiring its wisdom. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. That's so important as we are reading the scriptures to to read them in context. And as we come to verse 34 in particular, it is helpful to have verse 10 in mind. And if we were to go back to verse 10, we would find that when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, plural. See, it wasn't just the parable of the sower that they came to ask Jesus about, but it was all of these parables they were asking him about. Jesus had created a climate with his disciples where they felt free coming to him to ask him, hey, what did you mean by this? What did you mean by that? We find that happening in various times in the Gospels. So here where Jesus' normal mode of teaching among the masses has become teaching in parables, when those on the inside did not understand what he was saying, they came to Jesus, he filled them in on the fullness of what was said. In other words, Jesus equipped them with what they needed to know in order to be faithful. And Jesus is still the one that we need to look to for our equipping for service. Let me give you two references to that end. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Those verses read, Now may the God of peace, who, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. God equips us for the work that He has for us to do. James 1.5 is, is very similar, but, but perhaps more specific. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I wonder if there are any of us who could use the equipping of the Lord for serving Him. I wonder if there are any of us who are in a situation right now that we don't know quite how to handle. Something for which we feel ill-equipped. Where should we go? There are many different resources that we, we could go to. Our tendency may be to complicate things by looking for many different resources rather than first and foremost going to the primary resource. We may think to ourselves, first, I need to find a book that can help me with this. Or I need to go hunt down a podcast that deals with this issue. Or I need to see if so-and-so has a sermon talking about this. Now, resources are, are, are good to the extent that they are biblical teaching. And the Lord does use those things to equip us. But there is no substitute for a regular diet of personal, prayerful immersion in the Word of God, listening to the voice of Christ. I remember my second year of seminary. Of course, I'm, I'm in seminary for the purpose of being equipped for ministry and reading tons of books, tons and tons of books. And in that second year of seminary, one of my professors, Herschel York, he had a 
he had a guest speaker come in and speak to us. This man was a missionary who was home from the field. Old man, late 80s, early 90s. He, he had been serving the Lord on the field forever, and he wanted to give us one piece of advice. He, he shared some stories. He said, if I could give you one piece of advice, it would be this. I know you all have to read a lot of books in seminary, and that's, that's a good thing. That's fine, but read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And he just kept saying it. He must have said it 12 times. And we were all thinking, yeah, we get it. You can stop saying it now. But he kept saying it and saying it. By the time I got to my third year in seminary, my fourth year, my fifth year, my sixth year, it occurred to me why he kept saying it and saying it and saying it. It is so easy to get lost in all the other resources that there is this temptation to neglect the primary resource, the one that is actually inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of Christ Himself. Now, some of us may think, well, I just can't understand the Bible. And that's why my knee jerk is to go to these other resources first. Well, be encouraged because the disciples didn't understand either. But who did they go to? They went to the Lord Jesus to help them understand and Great news for those of us who are in Christ. His own spirit dwells inside of us. And one of his purposes is to guide us into all truth. And So we should immerse ourselves in the word of Christ to the extent that it is the very vocabulary of our thoughts. We should make a lifestyle of praying for the wisdom that comes from Christ and expecting that God will Answer that prayer in the affirmative. We should trust that Jesus, who has put us in our current place of ministry, will absolutely equip us by His Word to do that work. We tend to complicate things in a number of ways. Jesus makes it so simple. Knowing Him, sowing Him, anticipating Him, and going to Him for equipping. It, the, the theme running through all of that is Jesus. It, 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 is, it is all about Jesus. When we complicate things, we end up missing the forest for the trees. We miss Jesus. So, let us keep it simple, saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great kindness to us. We thank you for accommodating us in so many ways. We thank you for condescending to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his, his loving willingness, eagerness to take on flesh and to be our mediator, to represent you to us and us to you. And we thank you, Father, that, that the kingdom that he has brought and the discipleship that He calls us to, it is so simple. We pray, Father, that You would free us from the many complications that the enemy would, would distract us with and that we would just follow Jesus in pursuing the knowledge of Him, sowing His Word, 
keeping this simple mindset that His kingdom is, is our focus and what we look forward to and going to Him for the equipping that we need to do His work. Father, help us to keep it simple. We ask all these things in His name.